0: The Brent Pry and Tony Elliott eras at Virginia Tech and UVA got underway this past weekend with very different results, and the ACC continued its strong start to its non conference season. We'll talk about that a whole lot more, including some sports betting insight from front page bets GM Mike Sveditz this week on Teal and Barton. Welcome. Episode 87 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me as always, my co host, the 14 time Sports Writer of the Year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. David, how are you? Good morning. So I, I, I didn't get to, to make it over there uh, because of some travel budgets, but I, I know you had a little bit of a pool party with, with some of the writers uh, this weekend before the Tech ODU game. How did, uh, how did that little visitation go?
1: No one drowned.
0: <laughs> I saw a full press box, so I knew we were in good shape there.
1: That's right. So I, I considered that a win, and uh, we, we had a good time with some of our colleagues here uh, Thursday night. And then yesterday, our annual Labor Day weekend seafood festival for the family, we had a crew of 26 here at the crib, including a whole bunch of youngins out there in in the backyard uh, swimming in that pool.
0: Oh, every year, jealous of that event. That's uh, something I've got to make my way to one of these years. love the seafood love the seafood and love that you send out the season i think in style every year right i mean it's it's we're into football now we're into our busy season but you have that one last uh, kind of moment of summer if you will
1: yeah even some of the college kids were here which was pretty cool
0: that is that that makes it and also i imagine makes for an even larger order of seafood because yes <laughs> we we went through a full bushel
1: of steam crabs
0: awesome very awesome. Well, David, it'd it been about what eight months since we've covered a football game and college football game, and this past weekend we did. We got to two of them, uh, both interesting and intriguing <laughs> in, in their own ways, right? We every game has its own beauty. So <laughs> let's let's start in Norfolk and in, in, in your kind of neck of the woods where uh, Virginia Tech played at AD, ODU, and and David, you know, Brent Pry may look back on this week years from now and, and chuckle about it all, but. Who boy, <laughs> he had a rough time in his debut with the Hokies. And it's a week that started with Brian Murray, who was battling for a starting cornerback job. He gets arrested for not showing up at traffic court. And maybe we should have realized then that was kind of an omen for how things would go. Uh, The schedule gives him this awkward road game at Old Dominion, coached by his really close friend, Ricky Ronnie, who he worked with at Vanderbilt and Penn State. Uh, At halftime, part of his coaching staff gets stuck in an elevator at Ballard Stadium, right? Which maybe we should have seen coming because, because our good friend, Nathan waters uh, was stuck for about 30 minutes pregame in that same elevator. So I guess we had and, some, in- and,
1: oh, and Oh, by the way, Mike, th- these are three year old elevators. This stadium was redone three years ago. This isn't some old decrepit, broken down place
0: Fre- freshly renovated and might be due for another renovation, at least on the elevators portion. And, and certainly the postgame uh, you know, visiting team media area would, could, could use some enhancements, uh, And then after the game, one of his players, Connor Blumrick, he bowls over an ODU fan charging out onto the field. And at some point during all of this, someone stole a bunch of stuff, apparently out of Virginia Tech's out of the visiting locker room there in Norfolk. So uh, all of that. And then, oh, by the way, Tech lost the game 20 to 17. It's not the way you want to get things rolling. Certainly not the debut that Brent Pry was looking for, David.
1: No. And Mike, there are so many things to unpack here. And I think I'll start with the fact that these games are even being played because old, or excuse me, Virginia Tech fans are none too pleased that the Hokies uh, have committed to, to play in Norfolk. Well, they wouldn't be complaining if the Hokies had taken care of business right. and won these two games in 2018 and 22. And there are two pretty good reasons why Whit Babcock and his administration agreed to these games. Number one is recruiting. 757 is such a big time recruiting area for the Hokies, and this gets them playing in the market. And not coincidentally, Allows fans who live in this area, many of whom drive across the state for every home game. This affords them an opportunity maybe to, to get into Ballard Stadium and to have a so-called home game uh, to, to see their Hokies. And then the other side of it is financial. You know, to pay a group of five program just for one visit to Lane Stadium without returning to their place you know, that's 750000 to a million bucks these days. That's the going rate. And these these home and homes with Old Dominion, they're a financial wash. You don't pay out any more than you take in from the visit to Norfolk. So that's why the games are played. And all Virginia Tech needs to do is, <laughs> you know, stop essentially gift wrapping games for Old Dominion and all would be well.
0: Yeah. It, it's, you make a great point. If they won both of these games, they're 48 to 10. This is a stroke of scheduling genius, yeah. right? I mean, it, everything about it is in your favor. Yeah. And we've talked about this before because we talked about it at UVA with, with Mike London when he was saddled with those schedules that, that had him going out West. In Oregon and UCLA. Exactly. You don't know what you're going to have when you sign these contracts. And I think, just my opinion, you have to schedule with the mindset that your team's going to be good, right? If you're Virginia Tech and you're Whit Babbitt, you have to schedule with the mindset that you're going to go to ODU and beat them by three touchdowns. And might something bad happen once? Yeah, it happens to everybody. It always, you know, it's gonna it's gonna happen every program at some point. Uh, but overall, it, it's a smart move, and and it, it just hasn't played out that way. And that's more to do, um, I think, with the coaching and the players than any kind of scheduling mishap.
1: Amen. Could not agree with you more. And, you know, case in point, Friday night, the Hokies committed five turnovers. They committed 14 penalties. Hello, recipe for failure. And then mismanaged the clock Uh so badly in the final minute and change. And that's on Brent Pry for costing his team 29 seconds before he got a timeout called down there before Old Dominion scored the
0: winning touchdown. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, the player you're talking about, Ali Jennings, the, the former uh, Highland Springs star, catches a ball down at the one-yard line. Uh, afterward, I asked Brent Pry what happened there. He just wasn't aware that the clock was running. Because he is uh, still so involved with, the, with the defense and the things he's doing, he was having a conversation about something else. Then he heard people yelling and, and into his headset, the clock is running. He tried to get the officials' attention. That took some time too. And as you mentioned, they, they lost critical critical seconds there. But I go back to something that Ricky Ronnie told me in the offseason about the slow start ODU had to his first year and then how they finished strong. And we talked about the players and how they got better and more experience and all that. And he said, hey, I got better too. He told me, he said, hey, I did some things in the first half of the year that probably cost us and I did some things in the second half of the year that probably helped us. First time head coach, that's going to happen, and I think you saw that, especially in that moment with Brent Pry. That's not to let him off the hook, right? I mean, you, you know, you're you're a coach at a power five level, you, you need to be up on those things. But I do believe that, like we talk about, correctable errors for the players and coachable moments. I think that's one for Brent Pry.
1: No, absolutely. And to, to be fair, clock management, as we saw <laughs> last night. In LSU and Florida State, it baffles even the most experienced of staffs and head coaches and and long has been. And for the life of me, I don't understand why these, especially these Power 5 programs that have support staffs and analysts Mm -hmm. out, out, out the wazoo, why can't you have someone on the head coach's headset channel? Barking at him clock management instructions because it, it's not rocket science.
0: No, and, and UVA was maybe in some ways ahead of the curve when they brought Tom O'Brien in to help Mike London and much of it was game management, game day management. I, I've often thought... You have an offensive coordinator. You have a defensive coordinator. You have a special teams coordinator. You ought to have a clock management coordinator. I, I'm not I'm not trying <laughs> to be glib. Like, I mean, th- it is complicated. There are a lot of rules that are specifically geared to that. Yep. And sometimes, and this sounds juvenile, but sometimes it comes down to just looking at the damn clock, right? Like somebody whose job it is to look up there and say, "Hey, that thing's still ticking." And nine times out of ten, it, it's an error and they reset it, right? But somebody needs to be aware. Um, and certainly that 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 cost the Hokies. Grant Wells, lack of accuracy, four interceptions, that certainly hurt the Hokies. And David, that's the opposite of what we heard about going into this game.
1: It was. I mean, the the staff, especially quarterbacks coach Brad Glenn, raved about Grant Wells' accuracy during preseason. But as we have mentioned several times, Mike, Grant Wells threw a Conference USA high 13 picks at marshall last season and the year before he threw nine that's 22 in two seasons and the other night he threw four of them Hmm. now the first two were on him with without question the third one which was the most damaging because it led to old dominion's game-winning touchdown drive the third one in my mind was on jalen holston it Bounced off his hands. Granted, defender was about to hit him and then jarred him. But you got to catch that ball. Instead, it goes off his hands. It's an easy pick for Old Dominion. And then the fourth pick was kind of a desperation heave. And it was a desperation heave, Mike. Why? Because they were running out of time because they mismanaged the clock.
0: Yes. Yeah. He certainly didn't get the help that, that maybe you'd like to see somebody get in their debut game. He also didn't help them much. Uh, but the biggest thing that, that hurt them and that changed this game, David, was the, the miscue on the snap on the field goal, which in my career, I've, I don't know that I've seen many like this, but Enzo Anthony, who, who is a UVA transfer, he looked like he was giving a punt snap. I mean, that ball soared over the holder's head. Now, the holder is punter Peter Moore. He goes back and, and does a nice job of running the ball down and, and has a good shot at it at about the 40-yard line. Can't corral it. It no. gets away from him, and all of a sudden, uh, it's a scoop and score for, for Robert Kennedy, a touchdown for Old Dominion. That really where this goes from being um, what everybody's expecting it to be, a, a fairly comfortable tech win, to you realize it's going to be a ball game. And, uh, David, that, that play, to me, is the difference.
1: Mike, it's a potentially 14-point swing there because Virginia Tech, is. this is late in the first half, and Virginia Tech is leading what? Seven to three? Do I have that right?
0: I think that's correct. Yeah. It's we didn't seven, get a box score after the game, yeah, so I, I don't I,
1: have my... No, I've, I've got the box score right here. It's seven to three, late in the first half, and Virginia Tech is inside the red zone and has a, has a third down that Grant Wells converts with a pass. But, oh no, we've got offensive pass interference, which negates a first down at like the four or the three-yard line. So the Hokies are going in for a touchdown. They end up having, because of the OPI on, on the walk-on, they then have to attempt a field goal. That's when the gap, Gaff happens so instead of being ahead 14 to 3 going into halftime they're down 10-7 mm-hmm.
0: it, it changed everything i thought yes. it energized old dominion i thought it demoralized virginia tech uh, you know this tech defense david i thought was very good
1: they played uh, it, great
0: right for and, and 50 <laughs> minutes yes uh it's it's two things and it's been a thing we've seen with virginia tech before i remember a thursday night florida state game that was like this where where the tech defense i thought was dominant and, and just couldn't get a stop at the end that's how this one was so overall david are we more encouraged that virginia tech's defense can be dominant for most of the game or are we discouraged that they seem to lack the mindset to finish
1: no i if if i'm virginia tech's defensive staff or even a virginia tech fan I'm encouraged by what I saw from the defense you know they in the offseason Mike they asked Dax Hollifield to slim down and be quicker and be more effective in space Mike he was terrific mm-hmm. on Friday night he, what he he forced a fumble recovered two had 10 tackles had two pass breakups and nasir peoples was awesome also exceptional those were the two who really stood out to me but as 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 brent pry and dax said after the game when it mattered most they couldn't make a play on that last drive they had old dominion in fourth and short had blake Watson, the running back corralled for a loss couldn't get him to the ground. He squeezes out a first down. And then on the deep pass to to Ali Jennings that you referenced, Dorian Strong got turned around, ended up interfering with Jennings, which didn't matter because Jennings (laughs) Caught caught it anyway. And then that's what created that confusion with the clock because there was a flag, the penalty was declined, there was also an injury timeout, and the bench didn't realize that the clock was going to be wound on the official's whistle.
0: Yeah, well, we know how it ends. Old Dominion wins the game. The fans rush the field. Uh, Dax Holyfield told me, you know, normally he runs straight to the locker room. He kind of stood there taking it in. He said he hopes it fuels him going forward. He hopes it fuels his teammates going forward. Going forward, David, Boston College is next. That's Mm -hmm. the ACC opener. Now, BC, they lost last week, but they can be excused. That was to vaunted powerhouse (laughs) Big Ten team and my alma mater, (laughs) Rutgers, Uh, a game that it seemed like, and and, and I haven't watched it closely, but it seemed like BC had uh, comfortably in hand before letting the Scarlet Knights back into it. One of those teams is going to be 0 and 2 and after two. this week. Yeah. Uh, that's certainly not where either staff wants to be. Jeff Hafley and and had some positive things going in his program, and uh, Phil Jurkovic, Zay Flowers. They, they've got some talent there. Virginia Tech with Brent Pry looked at this schedule and thought he had a chance to kind of get off to a good start and, and get some energy going and some momentum. So, David, what, what do we make of this matchup? And uh, either team, is it more important to either of these teams, or, or equally important?
1: Well, I think it's probably more important to Virginia Tech simply because it's at home. Yes, sir. And you know Brent Price Lane Stadium debut spring game, not notwithstanding, um, you just don't want to start the the new era oh and two, and especially since the, the first one was a game you. Kind of, if you're looking at the schedule game by game that you think you're going to win. And ju- just to get back to the old Dominion result and just to make Hokie f- Hokie's faithful feel worse, Mike, in week one, there were 19 games between Power Five and Group of Five. The Power Fives went 18 and 1. <laughs>
0: Well, Tech fans know who the one is. Yes, at least that's do. a trivia question. If you're at the bar, you'll be able to answer easily. If you're <laughs> if you're at the cellar or PKs or Sharkies in Blacksburg, that one should roll off the tip of your tongue. Uh, David, Boston College, what what do we make of of this matchup? And and I mentioned Dracovic and Flowers. Th- this offense should test the Tech defense a little bit more. It should.
1: And Flowers had a big game. Sure did uh, against Rikers the other day. And you know Dracovic, fans will remember the Virginia Tech game last season was his first one back yep. following the injury. What was it? A, a hand or a mm-hmm. finger thumb kind of deal that, that sidelined him for so long uh, last season, got the Eagles season kind of sideways. Uh, but, but he's fully healthy and, you know, BC won that game last season and just Hill comfortably, even with Jerkovic at minimal effectiveness. But to, to me, you know, you, you go back to what you mentioned on how encouraged we were, uh, or if you, you would be by looking at Virginia Tech's defense, you know, the Hokies, if, if Rutgers, no offense to your alma mater, can limit BC to a modest number of points, Virginia Tech should be able to do the same. And if Grant Wells can lose the turnover bug, you know, Virginia Tech should be be able to score enough points to win
0: yeah it does certainly feel though like it has a chance and, and some of these boston college games have been that way uh, it come down to the wire mm-hmm. game where it's decided by just like we saw saturday uh, friday decided by some mistakes right which team has a snap miscue on a field goal try or, or a, a special teams breakdown which coach has a gaffe with the clock it, it, it certainly uh feels like it could be that kind of game again and 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 you mentioned brent pride it'll be a big moment making his debut in lane stadium this past weekend tony elliott made his debut at scott stadium his coaching debut for for uva uh did it against a richmond team that had handed his predecessor uh, bronco <laughs> mendenhall a loss and in, in his first game at virginia uh This one unfolded a little tighter, I think, than whose fans had hoped for. But uh, Elliott got the win in game one. His team was in control most of the way. They ended up with a 34-17 win. There were no arrests, no thefts, no elevator issues that we're aware of. So things a little bit smoother for Tony Elliott. What what did you make of, of game one of the Elliott era?
1: Mike, it was the perfect opener for a coach because, first of all, he gets to celebrate a win. Second of all, whenever he has a film session with his players, he's got a laundry list of things to fuss at them about and to bring them. Not that the Cavaliers needed to be brought back down to earth because clearly it's an FCS opponent, one you expect uh, to dust. And even I I think Brennan Armstrong's direct quote was tons of things to fix.
0: Yeah, and it was interesting, you know, I don't know that I've seen this before, but Tony Elliott was actually taking notes uh, during the game uh, on his operation, right? N- not on on play calls, not marking up the play sheet, but how were they handling substitutions? Uh, you know, how were how they handling signaling in the plays? Were there any hiccups operationally? And, and Oh, yeah. Um, and, and there were.
1: <laughs> and, <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> he, had, he had plenty to write down. And he, you know, we, we mentioned Brent Prine. Uh, Tony Elliott kind of owned up to Uh, They had a substitution penalty that wiped out a Josh Ahern interception. Right. And Tony Elliott said very candidly that 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 one was kind of on him, that Mm -hmm. that he heard in the headset substitution. He thought things were in order. He turned around to have a conversation about something else. Things were not in order. They ended up with the penalty. It wipes out the interception. These are all things, and again, we mentioned it with Pry. We mentioned what Ricky Ronnie told me in the offseason about what he learned his first go around. These are all things that will be corrected. But uh, interesting that Tony Elliott went as far as to be kind of taking notes to himself of of what are some areas beyond the X's and O's that can be tightened up.
1: Yeah, and it's funny you mention that because... You could see him on the sideline. (laughs) It's scribbling. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I I, I did find that interesting and wasn't really aware of – Exactly what what he was doing, you know. I, part of me was thinking, okay, maybe he's got a list of things to fuss at the
0: officials about, you know. Oh, that's funny. See, I, I thought he was crossing things off the play sheet. Like I thought he was oh. running play because I actually yeah. had written it down, thinking it, it might be a lead. Uh, before I found out what it was, I thought he would watch a play and go, i ain't going to do that again, and and was kind of sharpening them off his play sheet. But uh, no, n- neither of those. He was taking notes uh, like you would a freshman year in college, furiously scribbling things that, that need to be learned.
1: Well, and, and there were things to, to be learned. You know, Mike, the, the big issue with this team last season was the running game, right? Defending the running game and mm-hmm. the, the lack thereof of, of a traditional running game on offense. But, Boy, the, the Cavaliers were really susceptible to the run on Saturday. I mean, Savon Smith and Aaron Dykes for Richmond combined for, what was it, 160-some-odd yards on, on 30 carries? I mean, they, the Cavaliers got gashed against the run several times.
0: Yeah, and that's, it's, it's interesting because this defensive scheme of John Rudzinski, it is designed with two things in mind. Pass wise, you want to make teams earn it down the field. Keep everything in front of you. No big plays, and and I thought they were yes. uh, effective in that area. No um, doubt, and that was a huge thing last year. So so no big plays was good. But you you mentioned the rushing numbers, and, and Richmond got four point nine yards per carry, and some of it it almost felt like it was that same mindset of keeping a team in front of you, and and. Run defense, it has to be a different mindset, right? It has to be stuff you at the line. It has to be make plays behind the line of scrimmage. It can't be, you can't be satisfied with a five-yard run the way you're satisfied with a five-yard pass because most times, and again, we're generalizing, most times those play calls are coming in different scenarios, right? Uh, A team that gets five yards running on first down is in great shape. A team that gets five yards passing on third down is probably punting the ball. So, um that defense, I think, has a lot of work. Uh, Josh Ahern being out for the first half,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, it's interesting. I didn't think it would be a huge deal, but he played so well in the second half. Right. And those statistics improved in the second half that maybe we do chalk up some of those numbers to Ahern being off the field.
1: Well, and how about the fact, Mike, that, yes, you you can fuss at Virginia for not being great against the run Saturday. But when it mattered most... Mm-hmm when Richmond you know, had a chance to, to make it a, at least more interesting than on third and one and fourth and one, Josh Ahern stuffed Savon Smith for no gain on back-to-back plays.
0: Yeah, our our colleague Greg Medea actually highlighted that in in some of his game coverage. It it really, uh, those are the kind of plays that you need uh, in run defense. Those are the kind of plays that we're lacking. So maybe we take a wait and see uh, defensively, see what it looks like with Ahern in the game for, for four quarters. Offensively, David, they did run the ball well. Granted, it's, it's Richmond, and, and, and there's yeah. you know some people are going to chalk it up to the matchup. But mm-hmm. you know, I went into this one wondering if this offensive line was going to be functional, wondering if it wasn't going to quickly the offense sort of regress. And it's funny that I say regress, the offense might regress to just chucking it sixty times with Brendan Armstrong. That worked pretty damn well a year ago, and Brennan Armstrong mm-hmm. is a, is a star. But that's not what they're going for. Um, I thought they achieved their goal of having some of that run pass balance.
1: Oh well, they they ran it more than they threw it by by a good bit. Now again, you have to c- consider the uh, the opponent, but yeah, I mean, Paris Jones' first first career start had more than a hundred yards. Thought he thought he looked good, and what was what was most impressive to me was the way he moved the pile mm-hmm. and just always kept the legs churning for a, a couple extra yards. And uh, t- to me, that was the most impressive part of his game.
0: Yeah, and, and an all-around game. He, he was decent in, in blitz pickup, and he was really good out of the backfield. Um, and that was an interesting thing because I had asked Des Kitchings going into the season – about receiver depth, right? They have the big four. Everybody knows about Lavelle Davis had the big touchdown. Clearly he's backed Dontavian Wicks had 12 targets by far the most on the team. Uh, most of Brandon Armstrong's throws went to Wicks, Davis, Kemp, and Keaton Thompson. Where would the other catches come from? And he told me, Hey, I think six guys are going to catch the ball in a given game and the other two may not be wide receivers. Well, we saw Paris Jones catching balls out of the backfield. We saw Grant Misch. Um, So I think they achieved some of what they wanted, and, and Des Kitchens and Tony Oli both said, hey, they had some other guys they wanted to play if the game got lopsided, and it just never did.
1: No, and, and 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 to me, that that was on them because they could have put Richmond away at the end of the first half, where I thought after taking over their late, what right around their own 35 had all three timeouts. I thought Tony Elliott got oddly passive and you know essentially was content to go into halftime ahead 28 to 10. Why not put the hammer down, man?
0: Yeah, and you asked him about that and, and yeah. his answer was essentially <laughs> uh, he 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 had a lot of things he wanted corrected and he thought it was better to get into the locker room and start correcting them. Well, it's better to get in the locker room and start correcting them with another Seven or three points up on the board, so I'm with you. And I, yeah, I'll I'll be curious Tuesday uh, when when we speak with Coach Elliott uh, if that's something he he has changed his opinion on. If maybe upon rewatching it, he sees that as an opportunity. Uh, You know, he talked about finishing the game, and and I think you're right. There was a chance to maybe finish the game uh, before halftime there, and and Mm -hmm. they didn't go for it. And
1: um, And then, and then in the third quarter, you know, they have those back-to-back turnovers.
0: Right, And, and that was what compounded it yeah. uh and if you're a little passive three. yep and the, the wicks, fumble, wicks and fumble if you're a little passive going to the locker room and you come out and score on your first two drives you probably don't even bother asking right, right. maybe it's something you tuck away and if it comes up again but because they then compounded it by coming out of the locker room and and letting richmond all the way back in uh it, it made things interesting now next up they go on the road to illinois uh big 10 opponent um Mixed results for the Illini so far. I actually watched uh, most of their opener with Wyoming, Wyoming and Wyoming couldn't tackle. So I thought that made it hard to evaluate uh, because they were able to just run the ball. Um, I thought Wyoming had guys in position to make plays and just couldn't couldn't get that running back. Brown down on the ground, which which he's a good player and that, that may be part of the reason. Uh, Indiana, a, a close game that they lose. So David, what do we make of this matchup uh, of UVA going to Illinois?
1: Well, Last year wasn't much of a matchup at all, now, was it? No. I mean, Virginia just ran them out of Scott Stadium. I think the final was 42 to, to 14. You know, that was, you know, year, year one of the, the, the Bielamo regime in Champaign. And, and now he's there for a second season, talking about Brett Bielamo, the head coach. And Virginia's run defense is certainly going to get tested on Saturday. I mean, Chase Brown, sitting here looking at the stats in two games, has 55 carries. Yeah. That, my friend, is a workhorse. Yeah. And that you know, is. By the way, he's churning out six and a half yards a carry.
0: And that's Brett Bealum, of football. And, and no disrespect to, to Brett and going over to the SEC. And hey, why not? But he's a Big Ten football guy. And, and that is his style of offense. And he probably looks at that 55 number and thinks. He probably should have five more. Right, thirty a <laughs> game is probably where he wants his. And, and this is a back that um, can make plays in a number of different ways. And again, we saw in Wyoming, and and I'm hard on Wyoming because they look terrible, but you know, some of that certainly is Brown breaking tackles. Um, he's not afraid of contact. He he falls forward. He gets extra yardage. Um, this will be a very good test. And and I would imagine if if you're the Illinois coaching staff and you watch this Richmond tape for UVA, you think, hey, we're going to run it till they stop us because. Mm-hmm. He couldn't stop Richmond. I like Illinois' chances of moving the ball on the ground.
1: No question. To to me, that's what this is, is going to come down to on Saturday. You know, can Illinois number one run it? Number two, in so doing, control that clock and keep Brennan Armstrong and company pinned to the bench.
0: Yeah, and I think that is something that's interesting with this, this new Virginia offense is it's they're not necessarily, and certainly they got the long touchdown from Lavelle Davis, but yeah. um, they want to be able to have drives that will answer, right? Drives that will take six, seven, eight minutes off the clock themselves and end by punching it in and uh, being good in the red zone, just like the defense is focused on being good defensively in the red zone. So uh, I think this game, t- to me, feels like it could be very different than a year ago in identity. You know, a year ago, it was, you know, winging it around UVA, high flying, and, and they're going to try to blow you out of the state. This one feels like it's going to be more of a fist fight and that UVA is a little more prepared for that style of game this time around.
1: I think you're right. And uh, I'd be very surprised if it's a 28-point game again. I, yeah. I, I really
0: would be. I mean, No, I'm, I agree. And, and Vegas Vegas has the over-under at, at 54. And um, I don't know. Who's that, that, favored? Illinois is, is favorite, as we're about to get into here with, with Mike's Sveditz. But Illinois is a four-and-a-half-point favorite, the over-under 54. It, uh, I don't know. It, it seems like an under game, and, and it seems uh, maybe tighter than that. It seems like a field goal kind of game yeah. to but, me.
1: By the way, Mike, Brennan, I, I'm, I'm, again, looking at stats. Brennan Armstrong, 405 yards and five touchdown passes last season against the Illini.
0: Yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll see if it's that style or, or a different style. Well, we're joined now by Mike Svetitz, the general manager of Front Page Bets. He's going to help us each week take a look at the lines here involving Virginia, Virginia Tech, and, and maybe some other uh, games as they catch our interest. Mike, how's your Labor Day weekend been?
2: It was good, man. Football's finally on, and uh, so posted up and watched it and, and had a good good time waiting for this heat to die down. Other than that, man, it's football season.
0: Yeah, it's been some entertaining games. Hopefully we get another slate of entertaining games. Let's jump right into a mic and let's start with Virginia Tech, who uh, <laughs> obviously did not make their fans very happy in the trip to Norfolk. And uh, as David and I recounted, that was a bit of a disaster. But the Hokies open here, they're, they're three and a half point favorites at home against Boston College this weekend. What do you make of that line? And, and where would you put your money?
2: Well, I, I tell you what, that yeah, that game to to ODU, we talked about it last week. You know, we knew I thought it was going to be a low scoring game, which it was. Didn't hit the over, but you know, the fact that ODU wins at home was just another, uh, just you know, show that anything can happen in football, especially when you have some in state teams playing each other. But you know, three and a half point favorites now, the Hokies are against Boston College. Is it? Is it really? Is it Boston? Is Boston College that terrible, or did Tech just really have a bad day? Um, obviously, they have got him at home. Uh, you know, BC loses to Rutgers. Uh, I don't know what's worse, losing to Rutgers or losing to ODU. You have to throw the coin. You got to remember, I'm a Rutgers alum, so I, that's why I, that's why I'm digging in, in a little bit harder here. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I I think three and a half. You know, obviously Boston College is not not very good. I don't think Tech is very good right now. Uh, that three and a half. Being at home, you know, you usually have. If you have all things being equal, you give the home team at least three points. So I think that's what you're seeing. Um, you know, the over/unders 45 and a half. I'd stick with the under until Tech proves it can score and actually, you know, move the football with some consistency. Um, you know, I think we, we that that line probably because Tech is at home now. If it was on the road, I think you'd probably see more of a pick'em. But uh, you know, Tech being at home, three and a half point favorites with a 45 and a half under, I would I would take. I would take Tech maybe on the money line. I don't know if they're going to cover that three and a half. So BC probably to cover right now and an under is what I was thinking here earlier in this week.
0: Yeah, it makes sense. And then you think about Boston College and and they have some offensive weapons with Phil Jakurvic, the quarterback, and and Zay Flowers at wide receiver. And I thought Virginia Tech's defense was good against ODU until crunch time, but this will be a a much different test. But uh, certainly it looks like the kind of team at, at Tech that is going to play some low scoring defense rules the roost kind of ball games. Now, Virginia, we're expecting them to be high scoring and they had some moments against Richmond. Um, also, some moments that, as Brandon Armstrong said, maybe left some points out on the table. They're going to be a four and a half point underdog at Illinois uh, this weekend. The over under a fifty four. Mike, what do you make of those numbers?
2: Yeah, I think that's about right. You look at UVA. You know, Illinois. They're going into the third game of the season now, so they're tested. You know, they won their first game against Wyoming, and then you know they lose to Indiana uh, this weekend. But you know, Illinois. Is- at home, four and a half, like I said, the home teams just start at three pretty much if all things are being equal. Give them another point and a half. Uh, because of the, I think it's the experience that they've had playing three games. I think UVA is still trying to figure itself out. Only beats Richmond by what 17 points. Um, you know, last week the 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 Cavaliers and I think I call I think i set the line at 17. So I was just gonna <laughs> put that. I'm just gonna make a little plug there. Uh, but yeah, as you figure out, you know, the team is kind of feeling each other out. And I think that I think that four and a half You know, being uh, four and a half point underdogs going on the road, their first test, first test under, you know, Tony Elliott against the Big Ten team. Um, I'm looking for it to be, you know, I I think, I think. I think that's about a good spread. And if I had to choose right now, I would say Illinois would cover that just because we don't know what Virginia is going to do on the road. If they can consistently move the ball, stop people. Cause I remember that's going to be the big thing, as you know, Mike is stopping people. And I think Illinois just, you know, they say a team makes its biggest improvements from game one, week one to week two. Now you, you got UVA is going to make some improvements, but Illinois has got another game under their belt. I think that helps them come and playing at home. Um, but i think it's it might be a lower scoring game than people think so that 54 it's a, it's a tough number to pick the over uh, you know cuz you're looking at you know each team's two or three touchdowns each so um yeah i think it's about where it's where it's supposed to be right now
0: yeah, Illinois, you know, week one, I, I thought they, they took advantage of the fact that Wyoming couldn't tackle. Uh, Indiana was obviously stiffer competition in week two. And, uh, you can make the argument maybe that this will be their, their toughest game to date. Uh, should be interesting to see how it plays out. Mike, we're, we are a few games in now. We've got some body of work. How does that impact, I guess, Vegas's ability to, to set the lines or these lines sh- should be a little bit more accurate right now that we have a little bit of a feel for
2: what 2022 looks like? Yeah, I think you're right. I think, you know, the more the teams play, the more they see how people adjust. Um, You know, obviously, then going on the road, you want to see teams play on the road. And when you only have one game, you know, um, to go by, you know, home or, or away, you're starting to think, okay, I, I think when you start seeing these lines within, you know, three, four points, you start to say, okay, we, you know, Vegas is getting a little bit more granular. Uh, anything over seven, 10, um, you know, you, you got some mismatches there. Like I saw Alabama opened as 20 point favorites to Texas this week, you know, and, and and again, and Alabama playing Ohio State, you look back, even the Ohio State game, you know, they were 17 and a half point favorites over Notre Dame and barely won close to close to a backdoor cover if things would have went that way. But then you got to look at Georgia and and Oregon and it was a 17 point, you know, uh, spread and they beat, you know, beat the brakes off them 49 to three. So uh, you, you, the more body of work you have, like you said, Mike, the better you can, you can kind of set the lines, but, you're always going to have your have and have nots, you know, in this in this league, and you're always going to have people who are, you know, teams that are just going to be that much better. But right now, with these two games, Boston College Tech, UVA, Illinois, they're pretty evenly matched, from what we know. So that's why you see the spreads a little bit closer.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you, the line that jumped out at me this week: North Carolina plays Georgia State. Uh, Georgia State lost by 21 to South Carolina. North Carolina showed they can put up a ton of points. Uh, they're only a touchdown favorite. A- am I? Am I missing something here, or or what, uh, what? That that seems like a low number for Carolina to have to cover against Georgia State.
2: We got to look at what people are betting too, right? So you set that line early and see how many people jump on it, and then you see that you might see the line switch because again, when you give up forty points in the fourth quarter to App State, I don't know how you can and anybody can give you more than a touchdown against anybody. You know, uh, you can't stop anybody, and I feel bad for my yeah. guy Gene Chizik, but good <laughs> lord, that was. Uh, you know, the best play that, that Carolina made in the fourth quarter was that onside kick where they, you know, smashed the guys in front. You've seen that, you know, you've seen that replay over and over again. That was the best play they made. They couldn't they couldn't stop water. And it was just like, you know, so I, I don't see how you can give them more than seven. But again, how many people are going to jump on the seven-point line?
0: Well, and, I'll tell you. I'll be one of those people jumping on that, that seven-point line. I'll tell you that right
2: now. I don't know what was worse, though, Barbara. You tell me. What was worse or more entertaining? That game? Or the seven to three Iowa win where they had to get seven the hard way, two 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 safeties and a field goal. I've never seen that. And I covered a three to two game once.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I like a good good bullpen game and bring in your closer and thanks. shut things down, but th- that's How the wrong sport. is
2: awesome, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. but uh, not, not what I was looking for. But hey, we got plenty of entertainment value out of some of these uh, other games. And certainly I thought FSU, LSU last night was wildly I was exhausted from the weekend, but yeah. uh, I stayed up and watched all of that. And we'll keep an eye on these games. We'll keep an eye on these lines. Thanks for the advice. And Mike, thanks for joining us again.
2: All right, man. Thanks, Mike. We'll talk soon.
0: Well, there was a lot of pressure on the ACC to play well in its non-conference slate this season. Uh, and so far, David, at least in terms of wins and losses, uh, the league has delivered Pittsburgh opened things up with that wild wild win over over wild and wonderful West Virginia backyard brawl Sunday night that was that was uh, Thursday night Thursday night and then Sunday night Florida State put a, a nice cherry on top of things with uh, their win over LSU another wild game in, in New Orleans and uh, those two didn't come easy. neither did UNC's win over App state nor, nor NC State's victory over ECU but David, they're all W's. So what do we make of the ACC's performance at a conference here uh, as we as we start the season off?
1: Uh, they were all drunk. I mean, <laughs> those 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 four end games, Mike, that you just mentioned: NC State, Carolina, Pitt, and Florida State. I mean, the the ends of those games were just wacko. Yeah. I mean. Appalachia State scored 40 points in the fourth <laughs> quarter.
0: That was the weirdest. That was the weirdest fourth quarter I think I've ever followed along with. And Dave, we could probably do a podcast episode on each of those games. But, yeah,
1: but how is it the ACC ends up on the on the right end of all four of those?
0: Right? I mean, those all felt like, the way they ended, they all felt like coin tosses. And that's yeah. no disrespect to the, the teams that won. But man, I mean, Florida State surviving on a blocked extra point when the game appears headed to overtime after lsu with just a remarkable 99 yard drive mm-hmm. uh, i mean that to me is you thank your lucky stars and uh, pittsburgh west virginia that's as wild a, a backyard brawl as we've seen mm-hmm. uh, largest I mean, crowd in the history of pittsburgh sports pittsburgh sports which the steelers are pretty popular if you've never been to pittsburgh the Steelers are pretty popular. The Pirates, when they're good, are popular. The Penguins are popular. So that, that tells you something, that a pit team that does not generally draw well, what the backyard brawl and that rivalry uh, meant to people. And then, David, the, the, the two Carolina, I mean, North Carolina and NC State, their, their wins, I mean, which I think the league had to have. They were lower profile, less marquee matchups. But if you lose those two, yeah, it it, it starts to have that feeling again.
1: You, you get that narrative.
0: Yep, absolutely. You, you
1: you get the narrative that the league is down, and what's the point? And it's you know it's Clemson and everybody else, and you know we'll see the Tigers. <clears throat> we're recording this Monday morning. We'll see the Tigers tonight to cap off Week One when when they play Georgia Tech down at mercedes-benz in atlanta but you know the, the acc really did need to have an upbeat week one and yes bc lost to Rutgers and virginia tech lost old dominion but those were the only hiccups and you know it was an under the radar result mike but duke beating temple 30 yep. to nothing yep that is <laughs> th- th- this stat stunned me when i read it in duke's release that is Duke's first shutout of an FBS opponent in 33 years, 34 yeah. years, 1988 <laughs> against North Carolina.
0: And that's, I mean, part of that is certainly the, the, their identity was offense-based with Cutcliffe. They tend to put their best players there, but that is a long time. And, and Mike, just one real quick aside, do you know who coached
1: that Duke team?
0: I do n- not. It was Steve Spurrier. Yes. That's
1: <laughs> that's how long ago
0: that is.
1: the old ball coach was at
0: Duke. It is in his first go around, and and the uh, does he still give? He used to give Duke a, a vote in the coaches' poll when, every when year.
1: When he was coaching in the preseason, he always gave that's what it was the yeah.
0: vote <laughs> uh, as a thank you for giving him his his, his big shot there. And uh, so it goes back away. And I think you're right. I think that um, not that Duke is suddenly going to be a be no. a bowl team, but way to start, way to show you some like positive bowl, momentum, yeah. get some energy. Absolutely, David. Of of all those teams we talked about. Um, For me, it's Florida State that I was the most impressed with um, because I thought that the things that made that game close with LSU were kind of self-inflicted. FSU looked to me like, a really really good team like the better team and then they did some weird things certainly the play call of the pitch uh when they're trying to end the game there down and the goal line was just disastrous and uh there were some other errors and penalties especially early thought they really hurt themselves with some penalties uh but florida state was a team that i came away from this weekend thinking like hey they're a lot better th- than i thought they would be and and uh, could make things maybe interesting in that division
1: i think they could number one it appears to be borderline impossible to sack Jordan Travis. Right. How many times did you see him pivot or squirm or duck or, or otherwise elude LSU's pass rush? And then, and in, in, we had talked about him on a previous podcast, the verse kid, mm-hmm. the defensive lineman, grad, or, or not grad, but transfer from Albany in the CAA. <laughs> holy smokes, what a force he was off the edge. And, you know, that's what you're accustomed to with Florida State is those just relentless pass rushers and, you know, just physical defenses. And, yeah, to, to me, they they were the, the, the most impressive of the bunch. You know, Pitt's win was large as well, but that's a defending ACC champions. Yeah. <laughs> And, and, and they were at home. Yep. So okay, that's that's great and all, but Florida State was essentially playing a road game last night. Although, the the chop when when the Knolls were ahead by two, that chop was resonating. I was going to say echoes. a lot
0: of credit to their fans. Yeah, who-
1: through through the Superdome, you're you're right. A lot of them traveled. Um, but uh, yeah, that was a that was a nice pickup uh, for the ACC, and we'll see how they do you know Pitt, Pitt has Tennessee coming in week 2 and then in week 3 Miami goes to College Station to play Texas A&M so you know a long ways to go f- for the ACC but but a good start and and on a week Mike and we haven't mentioned this yet but on a week in which the college football playoff decided to expand <laughs> and we know we are getting the 12-team model. The presidents who run this thing got tired of the, the commissioners coming to, you know, just stalemate after stalemate. And they took matters into their own hands. They're going to go with the original model that was unveiled in June of 2021. And it's going to be 12 teams with automatic bids to the six highest rated conference champions Mike, this is great news for every conference not named the Big Ten in the SEC. So the ACC continues to get playoff access. And oh, by the way, so do the group of five conferences. So at least one of those group of five conferences will have a team in the playoff every year. That's rocking good news for James Madison and Old Dominion and Liberty in their conferences.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting. I think it also hopefully (laughs) stabilizes things a little, right? Because to me
1: on the realignment front. Yeah. Yeah. To
0: me, this, this puts the brakes on the two super conference, Yep. you know, that was, that seemed like the track we were heading on. Um, and this says pump the brakes on that. Every conference has a shot at being in the postseason. That's where real value, some real money sharing comes in. Um, so I, I think this, this will stabilize things on the realignment front. And, um, it's interesting that that's the way it could have gone one of two ways, right? We could have kept hurtling towards a two super conference thing or something that stabilizes. And I think this is, that's something that, that stabilizes college football for now. We've said that before and, and been wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hope you're right. And oh, by the way, how about the weekend mm-hmm. that Virginia's newest FBS members, James Madison, Old Dominion and Liberty, yeah. you know, we we, we we talked about Old Dominion. But JMU plays its first game as an FBS member and houses Middle Tennessee State in Harrisonburg. What was it, 44 to 7?
0: Yeah, not and, close. And,
1: right. And and, and Todd Santeo, the Colorado State transfer, six touchdown passes, rushed for a buck 14, and then all Liberty did was survive not one, not two, not three, but four overtimes. <laughs> At Southern Miss to win, you know the only downer for the yeah, Flames costly is, injury. Yes, Charlie Brewer, uh, the transfer quarterback, broke his right hand and apparently is out for several weeks.
0: Yeah, that's going to be costly. But you're right; they they certainly all uh, impressed. And and for JMU, I mean, there there was so much question of are they going to be able to compete on this level. And and, and certainly, you know, there there's going to be harder games on the schedule. Oh yeah, <laughs> but. Um, when I see a team do that in a league game and you say, can they compete? Looks to me like they're at least in line to compete this season.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree. You know, Middle Tennessee State is probably just a iffy Conference USA team this season. And the the Dukes will face stiffer competition from the Sun Belt East. Uh, And oh, by the way, they have to go to Louisville later this season. And ooh, what a tough Season opener for Scott, not Jeff Satterfield, as I called him <laughs> last week on the podcast. And like, we maybe.
0: mentioned coaches who might be on the hot seat, and and, mm-hmm. and Scott's seat is a little bit hotter now. And, yeah, and maybe Dino's, but, is, Dino's is Dino's has cooled off, maybe, because a strong start for Syracuse and, and that offense led by Robert and, Robert and, and I. And, yeah. and,
1: and and Jason Beck, yes. I, I thought they, they, they looked – Garrett Schrader looked good. yeah. And you know Tucker, who we we know is one of the best running backs in the country, you know he not only went over a hundred yards rushing, he had like eighty some receiving. pass pass receiving. Now right. I was I wasn't surprised Syracuse won, but I was surprised at how they crushed them.
0: Yeah, yeah, not competitive. The offense really does look uh, more balanced and and more explosive. And uh, Tucker probably will get my vote whenever I finish this ballot for yeah for acc running back paris jones kind of was on the top of my ballot coming out of that uva richmond game but when you factor in competition i think yes i think tucker gets the nod and Agreed. uh but there'll be more weeks more weeks to uh to vote for paris jones or whoever it may be more weeks for us to break down uh more weeks for you all to listen so thanks for listening today You can subscribe to Teal & Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite pods, and please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the TD. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show is produced by Dean Hoffmeyer and yours truly. Teal & Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe, and please join David and me again next week.